All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 493. Jason Lingren is with me, and Sui Generis comes again. He's been with us on a number of episodes. Uh, most of the time, this is about what happens at birth, uh, identity, and things like that. By the time this goes live, we'll probably list out the episodes he's been on. We've got a lot to get through, so welcome, Jason. And a very cool good morning. All right. Welcome, Sui. Thank you. Nice to be back. How are you? Uh, we're we're good. So we've had a couple people on and we know you've been working with others. Do you want to give any heads up on where we're about to go or do you want to just jump in? Uh, no, let's just go. I guess the topic is in general known to people who listen, who have the ears to hear, so to speak. So, All right, let's pick up. So we're working from your outline and we have a couple documents. I'm not sure if these will be made available to everyone. We'll broach that when we need to. But what's been happening? A lot of correspondence. So I've been in touch with various levels of the official government, if you want, trying to get confirmation on the findings that we have, local government and also internationally. And very interesting reactions because, and let's say, let's, let's say right from the start that the, the, the correspondence is in the thousands of, of emails back and forth now. And there are like hundreds of officials involved in this um, dialogue. Not, not all together, but uh, individually, you know, in different uh, threads, if you want. So basically what you're doing is you're trying to get the officials of the world to, I don't know, is admit the right word, what happens, or are you simply still trying to define what happens when all that paperwork is generated at, at a new birth? No, so the, the paperwork is is becoming very clear now, and we'll, we'll talk about that. The paperwork is actually evidence of what they did, if you know how to read it correctly. So it's it's proof. The problem is, is that we'll, we'll also talk about is that people who never challenge the assumptions they have in their own work or position. They cannot grasp what it means to challenge the assumptions that they have taken for granted. So um, it's kind of the same thing as in any um, scientific community when you approach it this way. So you come in and you say, okay, um, you have this, this system that you suppose everybody believes in, and then when someone starts to question, dig, first of all, dig out the assumptions that you rely on and then question them. And then when the assumptions cannot be proven to be verifiable, uh, then you know all that uh, boo-ha-ha starts. And it leads to all of the same reactions, by the way. It leads to silence. It leads to ridicule. It leads to uh, dismissive replies, knee-jerk reactions, all that. But um, the one uh, common thread, of course, as, as we know, is that they cannot prove the assumptions if the assumptions are incorrect. Now, you've been at this a couple of years, yeah. proverbially poking the bear. Has <laughs> anyone taken notice yet? Yeah. So there are a lot of good letters going back and forth. Some of them be, have, have been mentioned. By the way, the, the document, that the Dreamhouse document, that we're going to talk about. Yep. It's not one of the letters that has been sort of discussed. I think Kurt mentioned a letter that I wrote, but that's not the one. 
he he was talking about another a letter anyways there has been a lot of replies and that's a very good thing so basically when you get a reply to questions at this level they are always evidence they are evidence of ignorance poorly done orientation to your job <laughs> or or they are evidence of um, somebody trying to wiggle out of something or even silence as people you know educated in law would know is also evidence of something at least um, if nothing else you can draw uh, uh, you you can take some uh, and and uh, draw some uh, adverse inference from it so you know if somebody doesn't reply it the silence means something so the interaction that i think we were talking about last time is a very good thing to do you have to get in touch with these people because through the interaction you will get the confirmation that they don't know they cannot reply they cannot answer these fundamental questions and th those replies which do not address the questions are evidence it's evidence confirming that what we have found is correct all right so let's let's catch people up so basically this is about the status of a human being and what happens and all the documentation and the presumptions are made at the birth of a new baby <clears throat> what's going on here is we're about to get into letters and conversations that SWE has engaged in with the official world to try to prove what he already knows is true. I guess I'll be bold and say it like that, SWE. What's going on here is when you were born, assumptions are made. Apparently, they are attempting to get your tacit consent, but they're failing to do so. And it doesn't matter. So they act like they've got your tacit consent anyhow. But what Sui is pointing out here is even the people in the chain of custody or the authorities have little idea of the systems. So let's get into the letters, Sui. Okay. Well, the letters, since I'm not sharing them, except with some people, or let's put it this way, they're not publicly available. I haven't made them publicly available. I've sent them to some people's private records. Um, I, I'm not going to share them at this time but i can mention who i who i've been in correspondence with and of course there's a lot of lot of people we've talked about them there's like huge amount of church officials and and so on international and local government officials vatican directly the eastern orthodox church schwab foundation which is the foundation of uh, klaus schwab some other foundations which are under the UN directly, some royal families directly. So the correspondence is there. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm, I'm making it known that the structure of how this works is known to us. You can read it from their own papers. Uh, their own records uh, are evidence of it. And what you can derive from them is that there's there's this picture of false reality that that creates oh let's let's start but you mentioned the hospital and we've we've talked about this before so this is how this is how the the narrative is created right from the moment of the, the delivery event they start creating their documents 
which create a narrative, which create a story of something having happened. And notice, it's always them who create the record. So what we've, se we've seen now, we've got it on, you know, official replies and everything, that those pa that paperwork from the hospital, from the church, leading up to the population register, and then eventually from there leading up to any ID people might be carrying, it's, it's their creation, it's their paperwork. It's not created by the parents, it's not created by the one who it is supposed to be describing. It's all their documentation, so it's their claim. Now, there's a couple of problems with that. Um, first problem is that, obviously, they are just bystanders, stand, st uh, standers in that process. So basically, even the hospital, even the hospital employees, they are just making observations, and then they create paperwork which they say to certify, and then that paperwork starts a paper trail, which then ends up becoming uh, what is called as the registered person, or maybe more commonly known as the citizen. And then, uh, you know, all these ID cards get sent out and then people take those and they start identifying as that creation. So let me just, let me just make this clear. I'm sorry for interrupting. So basically all the certification, all the ID cards, that's all based on a fiction on something that doesn't exist. And what you've just said, correct me if I blow this, Sui, is that people are handed these things. And because we've been so trained into how society works, we begin to identify that our ID is somehow us, but that ID is a fiction. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been over and over this, but, right. but uh, the way it's done is that you're celebrating the birthday. But the birthday, by definition, is not the moment when anything new living was created. It's not. It's, and it's provable. Nothing living was created on that birthday. The only thing was create, that was created on that birthday was a register entry, which becomes a legal entity. And that's the birthday uh, people are celebrating. And we can talk about more, more about the details of, of what actually that entry is, but um, I think the one thing that needs to needs to be clear now and that is provable now is that you and that entry, which they called identity, and identity means sameness, that identity and you are dis two distinct things, because that entity is created by the paperwork that the government officials create and sign and certify based on their own observations. Free of consent, free of any consent, right? Yeah, so just if you just look at the papers, if you, if you get the papers, that's what I've been saying to everybody to get the papers. If you look at the papers, they're not signed by the parents. They're signed by uh, the hospital officials and they're signed by the church officials and the government officials. I, I even asked who owns these documents. And they replied, "We own them." So it's it's there, it's there, and we we joke about this with Kurt, and it's maybe it's not a joke, but it's literary art. Who's we as far as saying we yeah, own the documents? Who, who owns them? Who claimed ownership? 
so the creator, the author is the owner. And, and also the problem is that if you have somebody else who creates a document template, like all of these are document templates, the uh, certificate of live birth and the birth certificate on, and the notification of the child to the population register, all these are government document templates. And um, the author of those templates, you know, before anything is filled into those templates, they still have words in them. And those templates um, were created by someone in the government organization. And those people typically would have to be lawyers because these are legal documents. It says it on them that these are legal documents. So they would have to be drafted by lawyers. And then the next question is, well, what are the terms used in them? Who was the author? Because the terms can be understood in different number of different ways. So if somebody's claiming that those terms create something that affects my rights, then whoever created those documents would have to explain to me what do they mean by those terms? Because otherwise, there cannot be any informed consent or a contract or a meeting of the minds. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, I got it. So, and we've been asking a lot uh, of these questions that who who actually designed, who actually created these document templates, and and it's a fun thing to ask because these templates are uh, legal. You know, if you look at the legal effect that they create, it's exactly the same in every country. Now that tells something. You you can even look at these terms, you can translate them, you can look into the legal dictionaries in different different countries, different languages, and they will tell the same story. <laughs> no, no, it cannot be that all over the place people just happen to create that in at exactly the same way. There has to be an overarching entity above government. Yeah, somebody somebody said this is the way you do it. Okay, who's that? Who's that somebody? Who designed? Who authored those document templates? Okay, because again, it's not the author of the document templates who is signing them. The people in the government organization just working, doing their best, doing their good work, doing what they're told to do. They are the ones signing them, not knowing what they mean. Okay, they are the ones getting misled here as much as everybody else. So somebody just gives them a document template, they fill it in just the way they are taught to do. They ask for some signatures maybe from the parents, and the parents, you know, don't usually at that moment think about the paperwork so much. And when that paperwork ends up in the population register, that's when the legal meaning of those words and terms and confirmations and certifications starts having effect. Which you've tracked it. You've tracked it from yes. the hospital to where it goes into the social register or whatever it would be properly called in every country. It, well, population register is, is a, or population information system is the term that is used in their own documents. So if we talk about that, Let's you know you can share the dream dream house document. Okay, and I wrote that in a very different 
tone and style than what I usually write. It's more like a you know reflective narrative of 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 what their documents actually tell about the population um, information system. And when I say their documents, I mean the documents cited in that in that writing. And those are one from the World Economic Forum. It's called a blueprint for digital identity. And that is, you, you can Google it, you'll find it. Uh, one is from UN. It's uh, from it's an article from oh, um, not an article. It's actually the the entire. You can find the entire volume of the Asia Pacific Population Journal, which is like a publication of UN, volume twenty nine, number one. Google it, you'll find it. That explains how uh, population information systems uh, work, and especially it describes what is a legal identity. So, you know, the term legal identity is the is what is registered in the population register. The legal identity is what's on your driver's license. Then there are uh, there there is. Uh, like a dictionary or a glossary from the Inter-American Development Bank, which is called the Civil Registration and Identification Glossary, uh, published by the Inter-American Development Bank. You can find it, you Google it, you find it. Um, that is a very interesting dictionary. You can just find, or, or like a term, term bank, you can find a lot of really, really good terms of how legal identity or registered identity is defined. And then there are a couple of articles uh, that you, you know, you'll find you'll find a lot of articles also about this, also about some conferences where these things were discussed. So what is important about those and that and that Dreamhouse document is that in it, I sort of walk you through how their own population information system infrastructure and the architecture of it actually confirms what we have found. What it confirms is that there is government documentation, there are register entries which create what they call legal identity. And that entry is created based on information that the officials cannot certify or verify or prove the authenticity of. Because of no firsthand observation, why is it? Because they had nothing to do with what they're claiming? An easy way to put it is that who else can say who you are except you or perhaps your parents? How could anybody else say that they have better information about your identity than you? Got it. Okay? It's impossible. However, because the registration of children is for them mandatory, they have to do it by law. So they have to create these documents and they do it. Now, those documents are worded in a certain way, which they are taught to then, you know, just take as normal language. 
And when those documents end up in the register, in the population information system, as the, as the, the correct term for those, doc, those actual documents sent from the hospital and the church, they're called the breeder documents for the population information system entry. And that entry is the legal identity. Okay? Okay. So all the paperwork is created by them. That creates an entry. And that, because it is worded as it is, it gives rise to a presumption of things about you. It gives rise to a presumption about your rights. It's a legal presumption about your rights. Okay? Yep. Now, what's the one thing everybody, all of these officials, every time want you to do right from the start? Well, in terms of the documents, they want you to sign things. They want you to... No, I mean, you know, in daily life. Oh, well, you, you've got to have your, your IDs and you've got to use the mm. system as it was designed. Well, they don't say it like that. They just ask you to identify yourself. I see your point. So actually, I am the one who is associating myself with the false identity. That, there you go. Because they, in their own documents, say that they cannot do that. They don't know. And the word they use when I challenged them about their own documents, I said, you, did they clearly show that you cannot certify that the entry and the, the breeder document substance is truthful? And they know it. And that's the way it works. And they said, yes, we cannot do that. So basically, what they're doing is that they're waiting for somebody to accept that identity. At what point do you feel like the identity is accepted? Is it the first time someone ever produces an ID to identify themselves, or is it earlier than that? Uh, so so in, in real life, come on, nobody is thinking about it like that. So there is no acceptance of it. But what they're looking for is they're looking to create evidence all the time. So they want evidence on their record that you have identified as it because they have authority over that creation, over that registered person. And they're looking to get someone to identify as it so that they can then impose their authority on them. Now, most people do that without thinking about it at all. But, but the problem is that they cannot make that connection themselves. And they say it in, the, in their own papers. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and uh, you know, going even further, what they say in those documents that I just, uh, what I, what I just um, um, referred to, is that the legal, uh, the legal uh, identity is an alteration of your rights. At the same time, they're, they're claiming that that identity guarantees human rights, right? In the one hand, they're saying that, and in mm. the other hand, they're admitting that they're altering your God-given rights. Yeah, so there we go. They can say both of those things, but yep. you have to look at those sentences very, very carefully. They guarantee some rights, which they call human rights. And it's also, at the same time, it's an alteration of your rights. So, okay, so first of all, why do I need an alteration of rights to get a guarantee of human rights? 
doesn't make any sense, right? No. It, doesn't, it means that those rights that they are talking about, that these identification guarantees, they cannot be the inherent rights of all of us. So basically, basically God-given rights are being curtailed, limited, abrogated by men. Yes. Those are the words they use. This goes directly back to the question of why is it called human? Why not just man? You know, what's the difference? Anyways, is this terminology? Is this, is this uh, term of art? What is it? You know, who created that term and what's the actual intended meaning of it? It's funny because language is so difficult a medium to try and give information between people it's it's limited people understand the words differently it's very very confusing as a medium but every time somebody's trying to explain something in words be it in speech or in writing you're trying to explain and refer to something that is real right so you're trying to explain especially if it comes to down to rights you're trying to explain how this relates to real life, reality, right? But the problem is that the words are so, they have multiple meanings and they are confusing. So people just have a mental image of what a word means. And then they jump into the conclusion saying that, oh, human rights, oh, I must have them from my birth, right? Okay, yeah. And they can say, yes. You know, you get your human rights from your from the day you were born. And that's exactly what the papers say. Your human rights were um, handed to you when when on your birthday. But the problem is that the birthday is a fiction. And the human rights don't seem to be the inherent rights. <laughs> See what I mean? What is the difference? I think what Jason was about to ask was what is the difference between the term human and the term man, legalese. Well, you tell me. It's not the same term, that's for sure. There's two additional letters in it. Well, what I think is that hue, which is typically associated with color, is a classification of everyone, and I think it was created by the Roman church. And I noticed in your notes you have the term human creature. Have you been able to show that that term is in fact made by the church or used by the church in some way? Well, that, that term is, is used in Unum Sanctum, uh, which is one of the papal bulls, and it's been referred to many times in your episodes. Yep. Um, so if you just Google Unum Sanctum, you'll, you'll find it. So basically, that's where the Roman Catholic Church uh, describes or uses that term, and they say that, I'm not reading it now directly, but they say they say at the end that every human creature must be subject to the Roman pontiff. So basically, they are claiming ownership or control of every human creature. In the same document earlier, they use another term, spiritual man, which is clearly in that context, something that has very different position than a human creature. And, you know, People should read that document and think about those that that difference. So spiritual man versus human creature is clearly two different things 
also according to the to Vatican. So there's no question about it. This is all referenced, it's cited in their own documents. So now it's provable, and it's provable by their documents that my true identity is distinct from that register entry. And if you think about it, anyone who is here, any living man does not need any anybody else's paperwork to somehow establish who they are or what they are. How could that be? That's a ridiculous assertion, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, every time you get approached by these people, that's the assumption. We have these papers. They created this entry. We send a message to this entry using this name that is on this record. And therefore, we assume that, you know, you are that subject. And also their own paperwork says that it alter alters my rights. But it, people don't challenge that assumption because people don't see it happening. It's crazy. In a way, you've just given the, the definition for the word government. Simply broken down, govern is to control and meant is always mind. And the reason people don't recognize it is because their mind has been controlled. They've been led, or maybe not, to accept a thing they shouldn't have accepted, which is, in fact, control of the mind. Yes. And government, as, a, as an entity, is, a, is an interesting creature in itself, because everybody knows those are legal fictions. Those are legal entities. Now, because it's impossible that governments existed before people existed. You know, it's all over the international law and even history and, you know, basic logic that government establishments, you know, government governments were established by people. So a legal entity does not have any inherent rights. They are not born with any inherent rights. People are. So... If a government as a structure or as a legal entity gets some rights from someone, they have to come from people. And then we go back to the maxims that we talked about in the previous episodes. Nobody can give more rights to someone else than what they already have themselves. You cannot give something you don't have. So it leads back to what is stated in one way or another in most of the constitutions of the countries all over. It says that the state powers are vested in the people. And then they start talking about something else. In the US, you know, we the people, right? We the people. So that's the source of that authority that is then packaged into a legal entity. But a, a legal entity does not have the powers by definition. So it's a very simple thing to realize. It has to be a consent. And how is that consent then created? How is the consent given? Well, the consent is given through this paperwork so that the government, which is established or was established some time ago, they go and create these population register entries. 
and then they ask people to identify as that. And when people identify as that, then you don't have any people anymore. So you abandon that position where you actually had those inherent rights by identifying as the citizen, which is a subject of this creation of the government entity. Do you see how that works? They just flip it. Well, they want you to own it all, right? No matter what, they want you to own it so that I guess that they won't have responsibility. What do you mean own it? They want you to own it. They want you to agree to it all. That, oh yeah, of course that's me. Yeah, they want you to agree to it. And if you don't, then they try everything they can to create paperwork that is evidence of you potentially agreeing to that. And no one knows any better. This is what always annoys me about this stuff. Mm -hmm. No one knows any better. So of course you're like, well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But this leads, this is, this is the trick that um, it, it's so simple. So basically, if that's how the power is transferred, by the way, that, that, that's what explains the whole concept of sovereignty. So the sovereignty, by definition, is it's a right, it's a bundle of rights. And if those rights are given to a state, they have to be given to a state by someone or perhaps by all of us. When you own the identity, are you giving away your sovereignty? Is that what this comes down to? You're, you're saying, oh yeah, here you yes. go, you have control. Yes, exactly. And again, this pisses me off because nobody teaches you this stuff. It's all done through coercion. Yeah, and let's, let's take a step back to the, to the hospital. What is the material evidence of your inherent rights, of your origin? Uh, I guess where you came from would be all the organs, all the things that connected you to another living human being. Exactly. It's the material that disappeared in the hospital. And the paperwork proves it. So the paperwork describes a creature, a human creature, which does not, in the paper, according to the paperwork, does not have that origin meaning it does not have those rights. So you're born with your sovereignty intact, obviously, but from the get-go, the system, no matter what country mm -hmm. you're in, I'm assuming, they've already got this all set up, ready to go, so that once they start asking you questions in the physical world later on in life, you're ready to go to admit to it all and claim it and go like, oh yeah, sure, that's me. And there you go. You're handing your sovereignty over to the powers that be. Yeah, because... Everybody's teaching all over the place the assumption that these, these people have some kind of legitimate authority, where in fact, the transfer of authority is never explained. How did the government get the sovereign powers? It cannot get it from anyone else except people. Now, where is the paperwork? So I asked the parliament, where did you get the power? Do you have any documentary evidence of the people transferring the power to you? Because the only document that can evidence it are those hospital, pop, uh, hospital documents. Because those documents are the ones that create the population, so to speak. And that population, if you look at how it's defined in those papers, 
it's defined as citizens who do not have, even physically, they don't record anything that those people grew out of, which is, of course, the placenta. But again, this comes back to like an offer sort of thing, right? Because they're saying, are you this, the paperwork, to which the unsuspecting public goes, well, yeah, of course I am. Boom, you've accepted the offer, even though you're completely clueless Mm -hmm. about what that offer is. Yeah, so if you look at contract law, you don't need to have a a paper agreement, um, a written agreement. You don't even need to have a, a verbal agreement. You just have to have people performing the contract and then you can assume that the contract has been accepted. Well, there's there's two big problems here. As you've pointed out, the initial creation is a fiction. It's a dream state. So we know this to be true, but there's another problem. For people like you who have woken up to the deception and have sent letters all over the place where people have said, oh, thank you for telling me, and no one has told you to knock it off, no one has downed you, no one has challenged what you're doing in any way, but here's the other problem. The entirety of the civil systems of this world are, in fact, enforcing the fiction. So even for the person who opts out, it becomes, well, I I don't want to go that far. Do you see what I'm saying? So a person Mm -hmm. who wakes up and says, you know what? They never had any authority. You know what? This is all made up nonsense and I don't accept it. And I start sending letters all over the place and nobody challenges what I'm saying. So you say, okay, now I know a thing. I know I was created at the zygote. The birthday was no creation point of any kind. So now what I know frees me from all this. Well, mentally that's true, but all the systems of the world are still functioning based on the fiction. Yes. And then that's when you that's when you need to stick to your to your knowledge. That's the test. Because that's a test between belief and knowledge. So do you feel like that distinction gives you the tools you need to push back against the system who doesn't even know what the hell you're talking about? A system that's been trained in fictitious fraud enforcement. These are some of the main problems that I kind of see <laughs> even in my own life because I am pushing back against this and I've found, I mean, I don't think I've sent near the letters you have, but I have sent a fair number of letters now to state departments and other places. And you know what they've done? They've certified that what I'm doing is correct. They're saying, yep, you are right. You're absolutely, you were born on the land in the state of California, all these things, but it doesn't change per se what happens when the police officer pulls me over who is trained to enforce Mm -hmm. the fiction as if I was a civilian, to use a term. Yeah, that's actually a really uh, good topic in itself. What do you do when when people, clueless people, approach you with their assumptions? Right. I, I talk about it a lot when we chat with people who know this stuff. So what I usually say is that it's the same thing as um, you know, 4 a.m. after a night out, you're at a street food stall with a bunch of guys who are totally drunk. It's the same situation. You're not going to be able to convince them there and then about anything. <laughs> you know, right. If there are 10 of them and you're there alone and they have something against you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a bad situation. 
you're gonna have to fig you're gonna have to figure out a way. Uh, you're gonna have you are going to have to pick the the time and the place where you're gonna ask the right questions or challenge their assumptions. But in a situation like that, it's not gonna happen. Right. So what you're pointing out is the crux of my problem. Let's let's just walk through this to make it perfectly clear to everyone. I'm out one night late, drunk. I'm not driving, but I'm on the street, and a cop says, "Hey, man, you're drunk in public. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're drunk in public. I'm going to take you downtown until you sober out. Um, I'm going to arrest you or whatever I'm going to do." Mm. There is no pushback that I have ever seen possible and effective, other than making things worse at that point. Now, taking what you said, I can choose the place where I make my stand. So here I come to court. That's the place where you can yeah. make your stand. Now, theoretically, if you know how to conduct yourself, you might well nip the whole thing in the bud, but it does not undo the fact that you were pulled off the street against your will, hurting nobody. Yeah. And what we've also found to take it a little further in the United States is that in the lower municipal courts, they don't know their butt from a hole in the ground and they often continue to violate your rights. Mm-hmm. not comprehending. Now, sometimes that's not true. Sometimes people shut them down from the get-go by saying things like this. I'm here by special invitation and I'm the beneficiary. And the judge goes, wait a minute, is this you, John Smith? And he says, again, I'm here by special invitation. I'm the beneficiary. He does that three times. Sometimes that shuts everything down and he goes home. Other times it does not, which points out the problem further. So now he has to go to a higher court where they actually know some things to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. I just want to make this perfectly clear to all the people that live where I do the problem that we're facing. Yeah, good one. Before we go to the court question, and that's also, you can can approach that in a couple of different ways. I I see what you're saying, but it's not the only option. Okay, we'll come back to that. Maybe maybe I want to. Okay, okay. but 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 let me say one thing about the the police. Just dig into the into the texts, into their codes of conduct, and they give you. Once you have the eyes to see, they give you amazing things. So you said that you have to wait until the court. But what I'm saying is that no, you need to put this knowledge on the record whenever you can. In every interaction, you need to let them know because that knowledge, when it's put on their record, is very difficult to handle for them. We good can see point. That yeah, that's such a good point, Sweet. I did. I breezed over it. And what you're saying is an absolutely important point. Right. So think about it. You know, any interaction, any letter I get, because they're all sent to that registered person is an opportunity for me to start a conversation and to put the knowledge on their record. Okay? I do it all the time. Right. You're you're correcting what I said. Basically, one of the things Sui is saying is with the knowledge he has, using it at every level, the contact with the officer, what came later, he could probably prevent even ever having shown up in court. Is that what you're pointing at? Yeah. So let me just quote something. The police stop and search powers are based on them having those powers if they suspect you of being in possession of stolen articles. 
Now I'm, I'm, I'm citing UK law here, but a stolen article is defined in the, I'm just using the UK Theft Act, but I, I'll bet this is approximately similar, if not exactly the same in different countries. It's an item arising from an offense of theft, burglary, robbery, or criminal deception. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Do you have on you an item arising from a criminal deception? I do. Actually, right now I do. Okay. So what do you think that item is? Evidence. Mm. Exactly. Good point. The way you treat that item is the point. All right. So, Sui, I've got to interrupt. I don't want to do it here, but we've got to wrap for hour one. We're getting into big ideas. What we're talking about here might be among as an important a topic as we could cover right now. Digital IDs are right around the corner. The digital ID is scary at a level that can't be measured because it will be enforced through AI and digital means. There will be no person to take your complaint, and it will make this whole thing that we're talking about probably a little more difficult. But there are people like Sweet, there are people like Kurt, there are people like KL, and I urge everyone, this is not a simple slice and dice, one solution solves it all. What this is, is listen very carefully to everything that's being put on the table because solutions are emerging. And when solutions emerge, then it comes down to you making decisions on how you're going to choose to deal with it. Some people don't want to change their life. I think that's a mistaken thing, but it is their privilege, right? They can decide that. Other people have had enough. With that, I'm going to wrap up hour one of 493. We're going to take a very short couple of minutes here, and we're going to come back with hour two. This is one not to miss. The amount of work that Sui has done, and I know he's worked with Kurt Kallenbach, who brought to the table that you begin at the zygote, one of the most important ideas that a person can be aware of if you weren't. Uh, we're going to get back into these things and take this further down the road. With that, uh, our one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W, 777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full show, and they have full access to Shoot the Moon, two-hour movie on my scope work. With that, I will wish everybody a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and join us for hour two. This is one not to be missed. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.